Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. And so let's just jump into this. I want to just get right into the word today. I'm going to ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 121. If you could turn with me to Psalm 121. For those of you that are watching from home, you can, um, you can uh, open your Bibles, or if you would like, the, the scriptures that I'm sharing will be coming up on your screen. But again, it's Psalm 121. I'm going to read the entirety of it, which is verses 1 to 8. Before we, before we jump into that, I wanted to share, share scripture with you real quick from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. Please don't turn there. Stay in Psalm 121. I just want to share a few thoughts with, uh, with you before we get into it. And this first comes from Jeremiah 6, 14. And I, I, it was something that was um, shown to me this week. And I wanted to just share it because I feel like it really is important for us to grasp uh, what's being communicated in this one verse, and I feel like it really helps to shape at least what we're pursuing right now in this season and what we're contending for. And here's just a quick backstory is that basically the Israelites are in a time of crisis through rebellion and also threats of exile and war, and God actually begins to address the leadership of Israel. And he says this, I love this, it says, they, meaning primarily the prophets and the priests, it says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And so that, that backside of the peace, that's something very specific to the context of what's going on there. But what I felt really stirred by is that first part where God begins to address the leadership of Israel. And he actually begins to rebuke them because what he's saying is that they are not giving what the people need. He actually begins to say that they're offering up superficial treatments. In other words, something that's superficial, it's something that's not thorough, it's not deep, it's, uh, it lacks substance, it doesn't penetrate. And what he was saying is that the leaders of the day in the time of crisis, people had wounds in their hearts, there was like real things pressing upon their life, and the leaders were not giving something that had substance to it. They weren't offering something that could actually tend to the wounds of hearts. It was just superficial. And why was it superficial? Because God said they wouldn't sit in the counsel of the Lord. They wouldn't sit with them and hear from the Spirit of God and be able to speak something that actually had a weightiness to it to address what people were going through. And I felt stirred by this because I thank God for the access we have to many voices right now, but we need to contend to not just be sharing whatever comes on our mind because that stuff doesn't penetrate deep. It goes in one ear and out the other, and many are left just as hopeless as before. What we need is to have a church and a house and leaders that come away with the Lord to sit in his counsel, to hear what he has to share, and then from that we speak by the Spirit. I heard a man, uh, Corey Russell, uh, address this issue with leadership, and he says, man, we can't give band-aids to uh, wounds. We can't just give these, these superficial uh, blanket responses when people are really right now, I think more than ever, asking questions about eternity. Like, where's God in all this? Is this from him? Is this not? And we need to have like responses that are rooted in right theology and really coming from him so that we can shepherd people and lead them to grow and mature in the Lord. And it's not just a thing for leaders because the Bible says that every Christian should have a response for the hope that they walk in. Which means all of us should be grounded and rooted and hearing the voice of the Lord so that when we come to family and friends and those who are like, man, I am just so troubled by what I'm walking through, we can give a word of hope that actually can tend to that wound. 
And so that's really been like the heart of, for myself. And I say, Lord, start with me. Like, I, I, wanna, I wanna really sit with you, God. I wanna really hear what you're speaking. I want us to be a church that's really sitting before him. I know it's hard, obviously, corporately, but individually, we're really saying, Lord, what do you want to share so that we're, we're giving your, your words, Lord, and it's actually making an impact and a, and a difference. And so for us, what's really been, um, I guess, the common theme, it just kind of happened organically more than anything, well, it really happened just divinely by the Lord, is hope. Um, we've, been, we've been always centered on Jesus, but specifically, the lens has been that he's our living Hope, and again, if we're going to give a response of hope in the season that has a weightiness to it, man, we've we've got to really um, we've got to really sit with the Lord and say, well, how do we cultivate? How do we find hope in a season like this? And so, last or two weeks ago, we shared about this scripture really impacted me. Proverbs thirteen, uh, I believe it's thirteen twelve, which is hope deferred makes a heart sick. And this almost summarizes a lot of what we have been sharing, which is in this season, Christians, but especially non Christians. Hope deferred means hope no longer is an option. They see tomorrow worse than today. And as a result, it's making their hearts sick. And we shared how this can be levels of like depression and despondency all the way to the point of I don't want to live anymore. And, and I, again, I want to ground us in hope. I want to establish us in, in hope. I believe people are aching for hope. And I believe that what the scriptures offer, what Jesus offers, it's not superficial. It's not just a Band-Aid treatment. His word is deep. The presence of God is deep enough to deal with what you're experiencing. And so I pray that from this house and from this pulpit, what you're hearing, as best as I can, is not something that's just, again, it's just shallow. But it's not superficial. It's not hype. But it's really rooted in seeing Jesus and knowing who he is, the conquering king, and being established in that. And I, again, I just, I, I pray that um, we would really see Jesus today. <laughs> That's like really the heart. It's just that simple. Is I don't want to lead you anywhere else but to see him rightly and knowing that that's going to change you. And so today, that's kind of, that's kind of the heart. Uh, I feel like towards the end, I'm going to emphasize something on, on how when things get shaken, it causes us to look to him. Uh, and I really feel like the Lord on the shaking of the nations. And, and I want to share into that a little bit. I actually believe in a sort of a prophetic way, I think, of what we're going through. But, but up front, um, if you want to give this a title, you can call it Lift Up Your Eyes. Um, it's a psalm, uh, something that's mentioned in Psalm 121. But I believe that there's a deep connection between hope and seeing Jesus. I believe there's a deep connection between hope and having a revelation of Jesus. In... In Ephesians 1, chapter 18, Paul is praying for the church. He's writing to the church of Ephesus, and he's describing his prayers for them. And he says something amazing. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. In other words, he's saying, I pray that you would have divine revelation. I'm praying, Paul says, that you would not receive something. It can't be received by flesh and blood. You need something to come by the Spirit. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which you have been called. And so Paul is making this beautiful connection to the fact that the more the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us rightly, the more our hearts are fueled and rooted in hope. And that's ultimately like what we're going after because something, something happens when we see him rightly and then we see who we are in him. And there is there's no doubt that we are walking through genuine tribulation, meaning genuine crisis, we are walking through genuine shaking right now. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to comfort us, but I do not necessarily believe it will just be done by him reordering our external circumstances. I don't believe the hope for this season is the Holy Spirit simply taking us back to what was. I believe that if our hope as a church is simply rooted in trying to get back to old rhythms and structures that we've missed it. I believe that when we come out of this season, if all we can say is, wow, we've mastered online ministry, we've missed it. Thank God we can do that because we can connect right now. We should pursue it and, and grow it with excellence. I understand that. But man, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to comfort us by revealing Jesus to us in this season that it would so like wreck us in the most beautiful way that we would be a people that look like him. And no matter what gets shaken, we are so secure because we have seen him. The Holy Spirit is zealous to give us fresh eyes to see Jesus right now. Where we are going, we have never been before. <laughs> We need to see him, and what he's going to reveal to us about Jesus will be necessary for us to walk in what's about to come. There's always more to see Jesus. You know, Paul, oh man, Paul said in Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, I need grace to preach the boundless riches of Christ. Some say, I've seen Jesus. No, no, no. Paul says, I need grace to try to begin to navigate and communicate the inexhaustible, unsearchable truths of Christ. Like, you can never stop seeing him in a new, fresh way. And the more you see him, the more it changes you. And again, I just feel there's something right now that the Lord wants to show us about, uh, uh, the Spirit wants to show us about Jesus that is where we're going to find hope. Like, we need to see Revelation 1 of Jesus, the victorious, conquering king. Mark 16, 12 uh, Jesus, it says Jesus appears to the disciples, and he says that he appears in another form. <laughs> really, it's wild. It's like, what is, what is that, another form? Well, he came in Philippians 2 in one form, which is the form of a, a man, but now he, he appears to them in another form. What is that? The form of the resurrection, the resurrected Christ. This form, when the disciples were discouraged and saw it, hope came back to them. <laughs> this form is what we see in Revelation 1, where John sees the resurrected Christ whose eyes burn like fire, whose mouth is like, uh, the, his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters, whose face shines like the midday sun, whose hair is white as wool, he's pure and holy and has all wisdom. And John, when he saw him, guess what happened? He said he almost fell in death. He was literally, the fear of God came upon him. You know what's amazing is that John in the Last Supper, where was John? John was resting his head on the bosom of Jesus. When he saw another form of Jesus, he almost died. Like, there is another form that God wants to show us of Christ that is so going to capture our hearts right now. And honest, honestly, I'm not getting so much into the specifics of that. I just want to provoke your, your heart to, to say, man, Holy Spirit wants to show me Jesus. Get away with him. Look unto the Lord. What he's going to show us is going to so fuel us. John, you know what's amazing? Where was John? He was in isolation. He was in quarantine. <laughs> At least in my understanding, I look at it like that. John was in quarantine when he has this picture of this Jesus. I believe the Lord in this season of quarantine, he wants to show us himself in such a beautiful way. Like there's something about when all is shaking where the Holy Spirit, the way he encourages us is he reveals Jesus in, in another form. Meaning same Jesus, just something different we've never seen. How many remember Stephen being stoned? <laughs> Stephen's being stoned, and guess what happens? He looks up, and he says he sees the glory of God and the sun standing at the right hand. And guess what? His face begins to shine like an angel. Like there was something that began to radiate from Stephen's life, even though he's being stoned, because the Holy Spirit was showing him Jesus like he'd never seen him before. 
And as we are experiencing shakings, when we look and see the Lord, I believe there's going to be a church that emerges that's shining because we've seen him in a way we've never seen him. All right, I've shared all that to jump in right here. Psalm 121, let me just share this with you. This is, again, this is a, um, a psalm that is characterized as trust and confidence in God in hard times. And so, again, I think this is extremely fitting for what we are experiencing. I think it's something that we can really identify with. And, again, my primary purpose in even sharing this as we just kind of you know, lean into this and then let it lead us into another scripture is to see this like single principle that just is so clear here. This is a pretty simple psalm. It's only eight verses, but in it, there's something so beautiful of how we can be established in hope when we find crisis going on around us. And so let's read it. Starting in verse one, these first two verses and especially verse one are essential for kind of setting the stage for the rest of this. So just keep that in mind as we read it. And it says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, the hills is probably most likely Jerusalem, and more specifically, it's talking about the dwelling place of God. So he's saying, I lift up my eyes to God is what he's really saying. He says, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Oh, you got to hear this. He who keeps you will not slumber Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. My goodness, any, any time in our life, eventually we will all be faced with human limitation. Especially in this season, I feel like we can wear out even faster through worry. But there is one who never grows weary. There is one who never slumbers. There is one who never uh, experiences the limitations that we experience. And because of that, like, we can find rest because of the one who never rests on our behalf. Like, he's always, he's always, uh, his eye is always on us. He's always for us. In fact, Psalm 127, Psalm 127 says that many wake up early and go to bed late at night, toiling in vain. He says, but he gives his beloved rest. He gives his beloved sleep. We can sleep because of the one who never slumbers for us. It says, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. He's your sustainer. He doesn't just save you, but he preserves you continuously. You're coming under the grace of God. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. This is speaking to comfort, like not a false comfort, but again, in, in Middle Eastern, I mean, the, the, the sun was a real threat. This is saying the presence of God, you can come into that and find comfort and rest. And then verse 8 says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It's an expression of basically at all moments and at all times, you are under his protection, his love, his goodness. And so here, here's what I want to start off and share in this, is that the psalmist, he says something so essential in the beginning. Verse 1, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the Lord. And what he's saying here is he's not, this is not, to be taken so much literal, like just simply looking upwards to heaven is not going to necessarily give us hope. That's not what's really happening here, especially in the new covenant. We know that when you're born again of the spirit, God lives inside of you. So what it means to lift up your eyes, it's a statement of attention. It's a statement of affection. It's a statement of desire. It's a statement of where you look to have basic expectation for for. Uh, breakthrough and for help. And in this particular case, the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the Lord. 
I set my attention, my affections, my desires, my expectations for what is to come. I place it in the Lord. This is the essence of what we share over and over in this house of beholding. Like beholding is actually woven into the fabric of why we exist as a church. We exist to to behold Jesus and bring his kingdom. It is the lifestyle of abiding in Jesus. It's the lifestyle of making consistent contact with the Lord. It is simply fellowship with God. We know that it sits at the anchor of the new covenant to see him in 2 Corinthians 3. And as we see him, we're changed. As we see the one who's enthroned in heaven, that rulership begins to manifest in our heart. And what happens is it's his peace becomes our peace. His rest becomes our rest. And even though around us may seem restless, we are operating under a different reality. The, the gospel of John, I just want you to get the, the, the weight of beholding. John writes the gospel of John and he writes Revelation. And one of the first expressions in the Gospel of John is when Jesus shows up as they say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then John, in his last book of Revelation, ends by saying, Behold the Bridegroom. The book ends of John's message is this, Behold Him. Just from beginning to end, it's always this. Whatever goes on in the middle, the ups and downs, here's like the the clear picture is set your attention, your affections on the Lord. See him rightly and you will be changed. And as you see him, what happens is you begin to be governed by different precepts. You begin to be influenced by other realities. And that, I mean the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, you come under another reality, another influence other, other than the things that you are just seeing with your natural eye. All of a sudden, you become, you're moved by his beauty. You're captivated by his beauty. It it shifts everything in your life. And if you feel like right now, man, I I just feel like stuff is just swirling all over, and I'm, man, I, I just feel like hopeless. What you need is you need to see Jesus. You need to set your attention on him and see him rightly. Lift your eyes to the hills. Lift your eyes to the Lord. Lift your, beloved, lift your eyes above Capitol Hill. Lift your eyes above allegiance to a political party because at the end of the day, if Jesus showed up right now, he wouldn't even fully side with either one because they both have corruption in them. They both have flaws in them. The gospel would break them both open and present something completely different. Lift your eyes above government. Lift your eyes above the news feed. Lift your eyes above social media. Lift your eyes above some of the conversations that you are seeing. And look, look to a greater reality, the unshakable, victorious King Jesus, and root yourself there. And I promise you, if you do that, man, you will, you will not be shaken because you are, you are being influenced by the unshakable one. When we go through things of anxiety and, and fear, we all have a tendency to enter into a state of spiritual myopia which is this nearsightedness. It's all we can see. And all we can see are the issues in front of us. And man, we need to step back and and we need to look to him and just have a fresh perspective come that just changes, it changes our inner life completely. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it's just this simple. And I always want a new revelation or something new. And and a lot of times it just comes back to this. What I feel in my heart is is simply um, either the result of looking towards him or not looking at him. It always comes back to that. Just two psalms later in Psalm 123.1, the, the psalmist says uh, a similar wording. He says, lift your eyes to, to the Lord. He says, I lift my eyes to the Lord, the one who is enthroned in the heavens. Oh, lift your eyes to the one who transcends the trouble of the day. 
Like lift your, lift your eyes to the one who's enthroned upon all things. Like those of you who are listening, behold the one who split the seas. Behold the one who, who crushed the impenetrable walls of Jericho. Behold the one who, when he spoke, the entire world came into existence. Behold the one who conquered death, and he did it for you. Like That God lives in you. you. You cannot stay the same if you behold him and you see him. One of, uh, one of the most beautiful expressions of this is in the Songs of Solomon. Uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's a really, it's a beautiful book of uh, it, it gives a love story, essentially, between a bride and a bridegroom. And it's a real love story, but ultimately, it serves for a greater point, which is to be a type and a shadow for the love relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And there's one portion of Scripture, this is so good, where the bride begins to describe the bridegroom. So the church, me and you, begin to describe Jesus She's looking at him, and this is what she says as she beholds him. In Songs of Solomon 5.10, she says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, meaning he has rosy. It's, it's like life, uh, cheerful. But then she says this, He is the chiefest among 10,000. He is the chiefest among 10,000. That's how it's worded in the King James. You know what's amazing? I didn't know this, but I was reading something from Charles Spurgeon. There's no such word as chiefest in the English dictionary. So, so the King James uses this word to describe Jesus, and this is what Charles Spurgeon says. This, like, wrecked me this week. He said, there is no such thing as chiefest, but such is the weight of Christ's perfection. He breaks down vocabulary and causes men to make up words they have never known to articulate something they have never seen. The beauty of Jesus. He is the chiefest. What does it mean? I don't know, but he's just that good. I don't know what else to say. Like, that, that, that you, when you look at him, you see him, something changes. I remember Eric Gilmore spoke on this, and he says, 10,000 of what? And he was saying, 10,000 of anything you want. <laughs> if it's, if it's 10,000 shepherds, they pale in comparison to the good shepherd, right? 10,000 physicians could never do what the great physician could do. 10,000 kings will all bow their knees before the king of kings. Like, look to him. <laughs> look to the chiefest of 10,000. Man, so good. So, um, oh, I, I, I've, I reminded this too. This is so amazing. I was reading a few weeks ago of uh, some of the most worshipful creatures in the Bible are described as being covered with eyes. And I, I never really like understood. I was like, that's just weird. <laughs> but now I get it. The reason why all they can do is cry out, holy, 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 and be filled with joy is because they have so many eyes to see all the different facets of Jesus. And the only thing you can do in response to that is worship him. And that's the point I want to get across is like if you feel plagued by fear, all the things we've shared over the last few weeks of hearts just being weighed down, sorrow creeping in, you just feel like you're binging, been there of all different stuff just to try to cope with what you're feeling, look unto him, look unto his beauty and you will, you will change. Something will shift inside of you. Worship will begin to ma manifest in your life. And I want to share one other point of this before I jump into another scripture. This is what I think is so important, though, is that the psalmist says he lifts up, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills, right? So he says, I set my attention, my affections, my, my, my desires, I, I give them to the Lord. And guess what happens is that all of the preceding verses are a result of him setting his attention on the Lord. He becomes aware 
of who God is because he has set his attention. See, th- th- this, is the, this is the key is that this is what I mean, what I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do in this season is as we come away to set our attention, the fruit of our attention is awareness of things about God, his nature, his beauty. Like the psalmist begins to say, man, he never sleeps. He never grows weary. He cares for me. Am I going in? Am I coming out? But what brought him to awareness of these realities is he had to behold the Lord. Once he beheld the Lord, all of a sudden the spirit in, in just begins to quicken him to see who God really is. So as we behold the Lord, this is what will, this is what will happen. The sad reality is, is that when we do not fix our attention and we become distracted in this season, it does not change who God is. So God is all of these things and so much more. The problem is we're not living in alignment with that. There is something so much greater available for us as children of God. I, I've said this many times. Many people in this house have said this. If, if, if the heart of what we, what we need to do is behold him, then uh, the enemy, what he does is he can't rob you from the presence of God. He cannot undo the perfect work of Jesus in your life. Like the blood is a better, speaks a better word. What does he do? He distracts. He distracts. He gets us chasing. This is why Paul in Corinthians, Paul said many times in other letters, but especially in Corinthians, Paul said that he was so eager to make sure the only thing he presented was Christ. Like Paul, one of Paul's greatest concerns is that he would add to Christ. Like he said, I just want to keep it so simple because when I add, I'll distract you from seeing really what it's all about. And so we, we need to, in this time right now, it's not necessarily just completely running from God, but it's, it's just trying to stay busy. I feel like God has built in a season for us to get simple, to come back to the basics. We shared with some of our ministry leaders this week, we, we, we should and rightfully so contend for revival but a lot of times, it's, we think it's going to come from us like adding things to get there. And what I notice is amazing in scriptures and church history is that revival is often God bringing us back to a place of simplicity. It's not about us like adding all these things. It's actually saying, guys, you actually have added so much to what it's really about. Come back to this place of seeing me rightly, falling in love. And from that place, you'll see hearts burning once again. He says, I lift up. That's a conscious choice. See, this is important, is that God's grace empowers us, but it does not overpower us. He does not overpower our free will. So all that we do is rooted in the grace of God, but man has to make the choice to say, I lean into God's grace and I respond to that grace by lifting my eyes up. It's all in his grace. In fact, the only reason why we can lift our eyes to the hills is because the son of man was lifted up on a hill. And because of that now, we can live a life of continually putting our attention and our, our affections towards him. To lift up is a sign of humility. This is really important. When we lift up our eyes, it means that we're coming under something greater than us. We're acknowledging our insufficiency. We're, we're acknowledging our, um, or I should say, we're renouncing our self-adequacy and self-reliance. And we're saying, Lord, I come under you. I need to look to you. Corey, Corey Ten Boone who helped uh, World War II, uh, Jews in World War II survive. Uh, She said this. It's just so simple, but some of the simple words just really hit you. She says, look around and be distressed. So look around and be distressed. She said, look inside and be depressed. (laughs) So get really introspective, and you'll find yourself getting really depressed. But she says, look at Jesus and be at rest. (laughs) Look at Jesus and be at rest in this season. And every fear, everything that's just competing for your attention this season will just begin to melt away. I want to I share one other thing with you. I'm going to take a few minutes to unpack it, but it really sums up in one, one principle. I think um, 
this is really important. I felt the Lord on this in, in uh, preparation this week. It ties into what I'm sharing, and I may go in a few other directions on this, but I really felt it like a, a season that we're in. One of the things I see from this psalm is, is um, let me put it this way, the Bible, and we're going to look at this in Haggai, and then Hebrews quotes Haggai about how uh, there will be shakings that come. And Hebrews actually talks about how there will, be, there will be shakings, and they'll actually point to that we're getting closer to the coming of the end of the age. And these shakings, man, God was really stirring my heart as to, like, what does this really look like? What does this mean? And why do these things happen? And let me be clear right off the bat, uh, what I'm talking about when we say God shakes the heavens and the earth, I do not, I think these shakings can come in many different ways. And I'm not saying that what we're experiencing right now, that God, that God, this is the hand of God and God sent this. What I'm saying though, is that God will use all things. Like God, God isn't caught off guard by what's happening. He's not like, oh my goodness, look what the enemy's done. What am I gonna do? Like he, he's just, oh, he's in control. And right now he's using all things for good. And this is one of the ways, like someone we're experiencing now is a way that there can be a shaking on earth. And what I began to see, though, is that the psalmist, when he went through a time of tribulation and crisis, when he went through a time of shaking, one of the blessings that's so clear is that it caused him to look to the Lord. In other words, when you go through shaking, one of the benefits is, is that it confronts every other thing that you've been lifting your eyes up to. It, it, it confronts the things that you have set your attention on, the things that you set your affections to. It confronts where you've anchored yourself for identity and hope. I think Caesar, you even speak about this last week. And it's just one of these beautiful things that when things begin to be agitated and disturbed, we begin to see that it's not enough. And all of a sudden, God begins to call us to look to him. The external shakings remind us of our frailty and imperfections. They expose false comforts and false securities. The external shakings bring us into a greater reality that there is truly no hope in man, there's no power in self, that no amount of dedication and discipline can give you the answers you need for the issues that you're facing in your life. The external shakings begin to reveal to man the things that he thought were permanent can be overthrown in a second. This is what the scriptures talk about. But in that, the beauty is that God begins to beckon man to look unto him who is unshakable. As the shakings come, it rattles man, but God, does, but God allows us in his goodness because he wants to establish you, root you, and ground you in his unshakable nature, character. And that's what we were seeing happen in the Psalms. As he sees who God really is, a confidence begins to rise up, not in himself, but in God. There's a triumphal spirit that he walks in now. Hope becomes his because he sees him rightly and he knows who he is. And I believe this is what the Lord is doing. And so I want to share this scripture with you. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. For those of you watching from home, you uh, you can turn there again. You can look on your screen. But, man, I think this gives such beautiful language to what I just expressed of shakings leading us to see Jesus. Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to... I'm going to read this, and then uh, I'll, towards the end, I'll share the Hebrews portion of this that quotes this. So you can see how this has New Testament fulfillment as well. This is so beautiful. I want to be clear in this, that this scripture, I just want you to hear this and just teach for like 30 seconds so you get this. There are layers of fulfillment to what we're about to read. This is a prophetic word that was given over the people of God. And what I mean by layers of fulfillment 
is that this happens a lot with prophecies is that there is a, there is a measure where it's actually fulfilled in the immediate. It's partial fulfillment. Like right after it's given within that same time period, there's some portion of fulfillment. But in almost all the cases when that happens, the true fulfillment points to Jesus. And actually it's usually broken in two areas, his first coming and then his second coming. And so right now what we see is that we're going to see how there is shaking that is taking place. And in that, the desire of all nations is going to come forth. It's just so beautiful. Who is Jesus? And, and ultimately, we're going to see that through this, there's going to be a house, a church, a body that emerges that will be defined by glory, a glory that they have never seen before. And so I just want to read this. It says this, starting in verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Remember, there's, this is speaking into not just immediate fulfillment, but in Jesus. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. So some translations speak treasures. The immediate fulfillment is there were resources that came forth for the, for the second building of the temple under Zerubbabel. But ultimately what this speaks to is the true treasure, the true desire will be Jesus will come forth. And it says, it says the Lord Almighty, verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. Zerubbabel's house carried a glory that Solomon's didn't, even though it wasn't as beautiful. But the true picture is Jesus is the true temple. The church is the true temple now. And we see that there's a glory that's coming through the shakings. And then it says this, and in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. I just want you to hear this. I really felt um, the Lord speaking about this is something I feel like is happening right now. There is an interesting connection between shaking taking place and from that, the desire of all nations coming forth. When something is shaken, as I shared before, you see that it's, it, it, you, you see its weaknesses. You see, it gets exposed for what it really is. And what is happening right now, we're going to see Hebrews says, this is a sign of actually the coming of the end of the age, is there, was, there will be an intensification of shakings. And one of the beautiful things is that it will expose the frailty of things. But in that time, what will happen is, in the fullest sense, the desire of all nations will come forth. That is Jesus himself. So as things are being shaken and people are realizing, oh my goodness, this wasn't what I thought it was. I can't be rooted in this. Jesus will be put on a, on a display like we have never seen before. I believe we are going to see like a harvest that we have never seen before because people are now going to be looking for somewhere to root themselves, like something that has substance something that's real, something that can satisfy. And through that, through the shaking, the God-man walks forth and says, here I am. And many begin to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. The shaking will agitate and disturb lives in a holy, beautiful way. I love this. It says the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Do you know that that's the, the wording of that means that nothing will go unaffected when, when shakings begin to take place. That's what's happening right now. No matter how secure you thought you were, right now every human is being touched by this shaking. And the only things we'll see in Hebrew that, that remains is the kingdom of God, which means if you're pursuing or in alignment with something that's not attached to the kingdom, it'll be exposed. Not because God is trying to destroy you, he's trying to save you. Like there's something beautiful that is about to emerge. And so as the shaking happens, the, the idea is that Jesus will begin to become front and center and eyes are going to be lifted unto him. They're going to see him rightly. 
and people will see something that is eternal, true, stable, satisfying. These, this principle, the Lord showed me something I think is so beautiful. The shakings, it says, it'll actually, Paul says that these shakings will define the last days, which is since Jesus died and resurrected to his, to his return, those are the last days, right? So this is nothing new. What we do know is that the shakings will intensify, the scriptures say. But I thought about this. this since Jesus has come, he's, he's been fulfilling this prophecy. When he died on a cross, the Lord reminded me, Matthew 27. Do you know what happened? When he died, it says there was a great earthquake. Now, this was a physical earthquake, but I believe this has deeper spiritual ramifications. There was a shaking that took place right away when he died. You know what happened? Matthew 27 says there was a Roman guard there. And the Roman guard, when he felt and saw the earthquake, it says, it says he looks unto Jesus and says, surely he is the son of man. The shaking that took place caused this man to look to Jesus and come into a faith of Christ. And I believe like that is going to be intensified in this season and what's coming. And it's something beautiful. Listen, when God shakes, when God shakes, religion is exposed. Like this is what's coming. Religion is about to be exposed. We're going to see it for what it is. People are going to say, I don't want that anymore. When, when shaking happens, dissatisfaction of immorality is exposed. People begin to say, wait a minute, this is a lie. This whole life, I thought if I give myself away to these people, I'd find life. I don't find that. And they begin to desire purity, holiness, righteousness. They begin to desire what they were always made for, to walk in right relationship with their creator. When shakings happen, that which the church deemed necessary, they're going to find out they don't need it. The gray areas, the things that we have thought were part of the kingdom, I believe in this season, they're going to fall off. We're going to see we don't need these things. But in that, a burning bride will come forth. When you shake in something, you awaken it. I believe the Lord is saying that people in this season, like, receive this. God is going to shake in people to awaken them to what they've always been called to. Like, they have been caught in things that maybe were not what they should be pursuing. And as God allows shaking, people are going to arise to destinies that God has placed within their heart. I believe when God is, God is about to shake, that there is going to be a shaking out of molds that we have put ourselves into. Some have tried to fit into other people's calling. Some are operating outside of what God really has. And when God begins to shake, we're going to find out, man, I don't want this anymore. And there's going to be something authentic coming from the body and from individual lives. Because all of the fluff is going to be removed. And we're going to say, Lord, like, I just, I want all that you have for me. So let me just, let me close with Hebrews. I want you to see this in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 to 28. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 to 28. Again, for those of you watching from home, you can uh, look on the screen. One of the beautiful things that I see happening in this shaking, it says that the glory of the present house, meaning the glory of the house that's coming, will exceed the former house. Man, I, I'm so stirred right now in my heart of where I feel like what's about to happen and how there's gonna be something so authentic coming from the body and how I see men and women, like stuff that you have dreamed about, how you feel like you're cut off or that it's just not gonna happen. I feel like really people are gonna start stepping into something that, that they've always been destined for. And in this, one of the beautiful things is that there's gonna be a glory on the house that is coming. Every time there's shakings, the house, I feel like there's gonna be an increase of glory in the house. Solomon's house it had glory, but it was known for its beauty, its architecture. It was known for its resources. 
And I believe, like I feel like that God was saying is that when these things are being shaken and the, the church, at least the Western church, will no longer be defined and known by its architecture. It will no longer be known by its external beauty. Because of the shaking, there's coming a time where the church will actually be known because it has glory in the house. Like there will be God manifesting himself in his beauty, in his purity, in his power, in his majesty, in his goodness and kindness. Like this is going to be the fruit of what's coming from these shakings. And so Hebrews 12, I just want you to see how this is, again, this ties right into Jesus' New Testament. I'll close here. It says, at that time, his, meaning God, Yahweh, his voice shook the earth. That was speaking to when God spoke at Mount Sinai and the earth shook when he gave the law. He says, but now he has promised, listen to this, once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. He's quoting Haggai. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. Listen to this, that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, one of the primary reasons that God in his infinite wisdom will allow these shakings to take place is so that that which is unshakable can become visible to man. This is what is going to happen. And this is where I see, as all things are being shaken, stuff that's just like we don't need, through this, the kingdom, and more importantly, the king will emerge. And the church that moves the kingdom will emerge. And people will see it, and people will long for it, and people will want to enter into it. The, the, the example I, I, or the picture I had, maybe it's not that good, but it, it worked, it was fitting for me, is I thought about um, how I, when I do crafts with my kids, uh, if you've ever done glitter, maybe I do it wrong, but we usually put glue down on something, like the image that we want to have, and then we just glitter the whole thing. And so there's just glitter everywhere, and you wait for, you know, the, the glitter to solidify on the glue, and then what do you do? You shake it out, and all the loose stuff is removed, and then you have, like, this hopefully beautiful picture that's left. And I just, I see the Lord, he's shaking off all the loose stuff. He's shaking off all the things that are not necessary. And from that is going to be this glorious, triumphant bride that is going to emerge. And the world is going to look and see it and want to enter into it. I think it's going to be something beautiful. So let's lift our eyes to Jesus in this season because we need to see him for where he's leading us. I I could just go on because I really feel this stirred in my heart. And at first it really caused a kind of a fear in my, in my own heart of like, this is bigger than me. And I realized like life, it's not centered on me. I need to see Jesus because truly the heavens and the earth is centered on him. And I need to be walking intimately with him. So Ray, can you uh, give me, give me some keys, brother? <laughs> I hope those of you who are watching from, from home are, are encouraged. Again, I want to give you something that's not superficial. I want you to really be rooted in truth. And I encourage you, go home. Here's a homework assignment. Go home and read Revelation 1. Some go back and forth on how many characteristics of the resurrected Christ is listed there, but somewhere around 24 characteristics are listed. I mean, he's the first and the last. He's the things I shared before. He's Alpha and Omega. He's pictured as being in the midst of the churches. Jesus right now in the season is not on the outside saying, get it together. He's the intercessor on the inside saying, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Let's go. Let's move in this. Like we, like, we have confidence. We need to be rooted in this right theology so we can move in confidence. And I, I want to, um, wherever you are right now, this is what I feel. I feel like I, as we pray, I want you to, again, however, however you feel like the Lord is leading you, I want you to respond. That could be simply closing your eyes. That could be um, standing. It could be kneeling. 
uh, if you're with people in your house and you feel like you need to come together and, and lay hands on one another, do that. I want to give you just a second to do that. I really want you to, to take a step of faith and respond. Thank you, Holy Spirit. When God restores, if you look in the Bible, when God restores, there's an interesting principle. You typically see a wording of a double portion in the restoration. He not only restores back what was lost, but he actually takes you into a greater, something greater. We see it in many different ways, but we just saw it in the, in the restoration of the house of God. There'll actually be a greater glory. And you need to know these things so that through these shaking, you are not, you have hope and you recognize Jesus is in our midst. Oh Lord, I pray that hearts would see you. I pray that the eyes of hearts would be enlightened, that they would know the hope to which you have called them. That is Christ himself is our living hope. I pray God that there would really be a a shift. Lord, I pray for those who have been stuck in molds I really feel the Lord on that. People have been stuck living and trying to live in a, in a different calling or they just feel like they can't get out of what they're living in and they know they were created for something else. I pray, God, open doors supernaturally, Lord. I pray you would produce such a holy dissatisfaction for not living in what you've called them in that, God, you would God, you'd release them. Open doors, Lord. For those who are just faithfully, they're just waiting. God, I pray, open doors. Open doors to see the things that you've whispered to them in the secret place. Lord, I pray the church, God, all the things, all the things on the fringes that are just, they're just fluff. Lord, shake it off. God, I pray that individuals who have never seen you and don't know where to look, oh, I pray they, they would sense the living spirit calling them to look upon Jesus as their anchor, Lord. Even right now, if you don't know him, you can call upon the name of the Lord. Yield your life. You say, I renounce self-sufficiency, Lord. I renounce trying to control my own life. I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would touch lives right now. Lord, bring us back to a place of simplicity. Teach us, Lord, to see that we just need you. You are the desire of all nations. May this house, home church, be be known by glory in the house, Lord. Thank you for the skills and the giftings. Thank you for the fact that we can be organized in the programs. Thank you, Lord. But we want to be marked and defined because glory is there. As you just stay in this place of, of prayer and worship, I want to share this final scripture. I kind of want to read it over you and just pray the Holy Spirit would just breathe on this. It's from Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. It was as the Israelites were entering into the promised land. And again, they were entering into something they had never experienced before. This was going to be a new season for them. Interestingly, things that they had in the wilderness, they wouldn't be able to take. There's things that I feel God is going to break off of your life that you can't bring with you. It's deeper than like tangible. It's, it's, it's character traits. It's it's, uh, I feel it in my life. It's, it's the way you steward family and 
the Lord is just pressing upon these things because he's concerned and cares about all of these areas of our life. But this is what it says. As they're getting ready to cross, it says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So as they were moving into the promised land, the ark of the covenant, which is the presence of God, which in the new covenant actually represents in its fullest sense, Jesus himself, we could look at it for us is that as Jesus is leading us into this new season, we are being commanded to follow him. Why? Because verse four, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. You need to keep your eyes on him because where he wants to lead you, you have never stepped foot there. And as you keep your eyes on him, he will show you areas, things about himself that you've never seen that will be necessary for where he is taking you. So Lord, I pray this week, start now, today, and especially in this season of quarantine, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, be unrestricted in our lives and that we would allow you to just man, to have your way to reveal to our hearts Jesus like we've never known before. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.